right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another edition of the Corner Store Podcast. Grateful to have you here. I'm your host, Kevin Koval. And always, you know, I am I'm so happy that you're tuning in. I want to encourage you, if you've not already, to rate and subscribe. But also, we had a kerfuffle recently with Apple Music. And so, I think that there might be two uh, Corner Store streams. So, the one that you should be looking for is the Corner Store, and it says my name, Kevin Koval, on it. Uh, and please rate and subscribe and tell a friend. Today, we have someone who I'm so excited to talk with. Um, not only an incredible artist uh, in her own right, a, a musician, a composer, a songwriter, uh, but also um, the uh, president and owner of Delmark Records, which, for those that don't know, is the longest running uh, jazz and blues label, uh, continuously running jazz and blues label in the United States. Uh, they have a rich history across the globe of putting out some of the most important sounds that really have shaped the way we think of music. Um, I'm thrilled to have her in the corner store. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome Julia Miller. Hi. Hi, thank you so much for inviting me. I'm really honored to be here. No, thank you. I, I'm great, grateful to have you. And and I kind of want to, you know, I, we're going to go all over the place. And, and I wonder if just a good place to start is if you could just tell us a little about what you do and what you do kind of day to day. And I know, obviously, we are in a pandemic and, and that day to day, you know, maybe looks different. Um, but yeah, but what, what do you do and what, what's your day to day like? Well, yes, my day-to-day looks a lot different um, because of the pandemic, for sure. We were in, um, we came into Delmark in May of 2018, so we're two and a half years in now, uh, and it's a, and at that time it was a 65-year-old uh, business, um, and we're looking forward to it 70, so we're in the middle of a five-year arc, mm-hmm. and what I've been trying to, to say to people and sort of to, to explain it is that we had this five-year arc um, that we had sort of planned and then the pandemic hit and all the kind of unusual political situation that we have in this country hit and everything. And so we, we, we did the pivot. We did the COVID pivot. Um, and so we're, my, my day-to-day looks different um, course, than yeah. now than it did even in earlier in this year and certainly than it did last year at this time and and even as it it did then uh when we first came in 2018 no of course um and 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 what is the covid when you say covid pivot like how how have you all pivoted what does that mean for for delmark what does that mean for you guys well delmark was um essentially a a paper business with with some computerization um and we really made it into um a digital business we we've put um we've increased the the number of tracks online from about a thousand to more than ten thousand, wow. and we've really centralized the business. Um, and we're working on archiving everything too, which is amazing and huge. Here we have so much, you know, to take care of. So we've made the operations. We work all the time on making the operations more smooth and work work together more from a central hub, um, so that we can stay in, in business in this world that um, is now digital people yeah. working from home um people working remotely um you know this this uh this building is a six thousand square foot building we have the studio here we have the warehouse here it's a um sort of a vintage business um and we can and we kept that but we 
um, we're not here for all, all of us all the time because of COVID, of course. Right. So we have our operations, our, our warehouse manager here. Um, and we're, we can because they, even during the pandemic, that was essential. Shipping is an essential. It's, it's, it's allowed. Right. And then I would, you know, I would come and go um, and we wear masks and sanitize everything and do social distancing. Of course. And, um, and then mostly everybody else works from home. Um, and so we've, we've been working on establishing, you know, a, a whole new computer upgrade system so that that really facilitates the working from home. So a lot of my, my day to day is like systems admin, but right. <laughs> it comes, you know, it comes from my, my composing background, I think, because I did so much, um, you know, it's, it's like weaving this, this huge orchestral score out of this business, you know? Um, yeah, no, of course. It, yeah, no, it's a lot. And you guys are really bringing Delmark into the new century. And, and yeah. I want to talk about what it's, what it's been a little, just for those that don't know, kind of, I mean, Delmark has such an incredible roster. You said recently you've gone electronically from 1,000 to 10,000, which I imagine is just a drop in the bucket of what is, you know, of what y'all's discography is um, and how many records you guys have. But you, you guys have put out, you know, just to, to music in Chicago, um, you know, of course, and beyond. But the, the, you guys have put out many records from the Association of the Advancement of Creative Musicians. You've put out Roscoe Mitchell's records. You've put out, um, li, you know, Little Walter. You've, you guys, you, I mean, just paint a picture of, of, you know, why this label is, is really so iconic and so tied to, you know, the, the greatest sounds that, you know, this city and maybe the world has ever produced. Well... Today, for example, I needed to go and research um, an, an album by Malachi Thompson, which was also in, in a folder next to an album by Anthony Braxton. So if you open up the folder, which is folder 420 for Alto, that, which is an iconic um, record, an iconic release, and, and, and an early release of, of Braxton's, you can open up this folder and find... Um, dedications to John Cage and dedications um, to to amazing um, artists of the day and other other composers, other musicians, um, and, and every folder is like that. The, the 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 archive and as well as the releases, it, a piece of history um, across the board it, in, in all genres of music: blues, jazz, experimental music. Um, improvisation and creative improvisation it's it's just an amazing archive and we work daily on preserving it and also um, getting it out there so that people can really hear it and listen to it yeah no that's you guys have i mean it's it's amazing the amount and and the amount of of just incredible music you guys have uh, so I, I do want to talk about taking over a, a, a business and and kind of bringing it up into the new world but but before that how do you even get into the music? How do you get involved in the music as as a maker? I imagine before a a entrepreneur and before a business owner. Yes. Well, I was um, I, I went to music school. I I've, I have a, a, a DMA in composition from Northwestern, and I have degrees in um, composition and guitar performance from Northwestern and DePaul. Yeah. So I came to Chicago in the late eighties to go to music school at DePaul, which you know at that time. Um, the campus was in a really different, was kind of the old Lincoln, Lincoln Park, you know? Yeah. And I could walk to the blues clubs. I walked, you know, to Wise Schools. I, I love to go and 
hang out at Wise Fools and, and sing at the at the jam sessions and open mics there when I was like 18, you know? Yeah. Um, and so I came here for that. Um, and then when I went to, um, to, to graduate school, I started thinking about um, what what that would mean, like what, 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 what my business life or what my, my professional life would be. And one of my professors asked me um, what, you know, what I thought I would be doing. And I said, well, I think I thought I wanted to start a record label. And I just, I always say that, you know, it just took me like 25 or 30 years to do it. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, but I also, I've been, I've thought about this a lot because, you know, you, 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 you go back in retrospect you think about well, if you'd taken this road or if you turned this way, what you know, how would your life be different, or what would you do? And I've wanted to do this since I was, you know, thirteen. I mean, I've always been a musician. I've always kind of listened in a way that's like uh, all about the music business, and, and and I never really thought of that until I thought about you know, I sort of examine my examining myself and thinking, well, why. Did I end up in this place? And then, it, then you start putting it together, and you start thinking, "Oh, well, yes, this isn't. You know, it, there are a lot of things that I used to do, and that I grew up doing that lead right into this. You know, my my family has had family businesses, not in music, but in, in family businesses for many, many years, um, and I was very influenced by that. What, what did I they did do? Realize. What did they do? Your, your your folks or your family? What kind of business? My family had manufacturing businesses, and and sort of they would take it. My my grandfather did uh, had a machine and tooling business, and he would build and, and make tools for like all the local farmers and fix things for them, um, which I think is great. Yeah, it's like such a creative. Yeah, you know, it's like an abandoned practices kind of thing. You know, you make somebody needs a tool and you make it for them. That's you know, right. that's, wow like best thing wow and yeah and and then that evolved into um a much larger manufacturing business that went through different you know eras of its own and i kind of grew up in that and i always said i was never gonna do it (laughs) and here i am you know i don't know i guess you just can't escape you know yeah a kind of a kind of destiny almost your history or whatever yeah no certainly I mean, I, I definitely like like the small something I really like about Delmark is that it's a it's a, a a vintage warehouse. You know, you go through and it's like it's like it's almost like an installation. I, I mean, I, I maybe kind of strange to think about it like that, but it's it you know it's definitely something like it's a piece of history outside of the important archival aspect and the musical aspect that is a really important kind of business history. So then, how do you take that? And retain it or or document it, but then also make keep it alive. Mm. You know, it's not a museum; it's, right. it's living. Right? Yeah, so. absolutely living. Yeah, yeah. Because I guess they do not. They do not. Um, th- these kinds of businesses don't. They don't get made anymore in part because the music, the way it's distributed, is so different now. Yeah, it doesn't get made anymore. Although I have to say, getting to know um, different vendors and business owners, small, I think there's a, a small business ownership um in chicago that community is really thriving yeah the sort of diy community is really thriving and i think that's great um you know we just released um a new jazz record by um the bradfield goldberg hall trio jeff bradfield and that was really a chicago designed project and it was also um 
in production with Smash Plastic, which is a Chicago business. It was mixed, mastered, recorded here. Um, designer, Son and Zimmer were the designers. So you have this really nice group of people working together. And I think that that's really exciting. I think it's really creative, too. It's also really healthy. Yes. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, collaboration is inherent in in all of these creative industries and, and certainly then, in, you know, when it dips into the entrepreneurial or business side of things. That's that's great. I, you said you came to Chicago. So where did you come from? I grew up in a small town in Michigan, really small town. Yeah. Um, where where uh, in Michigan? Near it's it's a near sort of near Battle Creek and and um, sort of central central southern Michigan. Okay, sure. Yeah, I know that area. So little, little town there. Yeah. So in a, so in a little town, a a you know um, in Michigan, how does a young white woman, uh, a young white girl, I guess, then get uh, the blues or and jazz? Like how how are you kind of um, dipping into the music and and like how what did your people think of that i mean was that a cool thing at that time or was that ever contentious uh and i I get this question a lot a lot because i'm a white kid who loves and got involved in hip-hop as a kid and so i'm also just very interested is like you know how how does that happen because because of segregation in this country um you know sometimes it you know a kind of crossing is difficult made difficult and, and so i'm just I, I'm, I'm curious about that experience for you well i you know i i have been a guitarist all my life i started asking for a guitar when i was five and, and my parents got me a guitar like for when i was about seven and a half finally because i wouldn't stop asking and <laughs> Yeah, they, they thought it was really, like, bizarre. They, they Because not a lot of people in my family really played music. There wasn't, it wasn't, like, an influence or anything. I was just like, guitar, 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 I want a guitar. And, and so, Why do you think that was? I don't know. Yeah. I mean, I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't know. I just always had a very clear memory. I have very clear memories of wanting to play the guitar. Wow. I have very clear memories of being of wanting to play classical music on the guitar, which is even weirder because at a, you know, like eight, nine, ten years old, I'd never even seen a classical guitarist. How would I know? I, but I really remember it, and I asked for guitar lessons, and that's what I did. And and I did also songwriting too. Um, I did a lot of singer songwriting as a teenager, primarily because in a small town. No, there were bands like there are now, and or there were bands, but there were like older dudes that were in bars, and they had wanted really nothing to do with a teenage girl, you know. And I couldn't go in the bars and sing with them anyway. There was not a scene or anything like that. So I would do singer songwriter things. I also played the clarinet, and I and I played the clarinet really seriously. Um, I had a better clarinet teacher than I did a guitar teacher at that time, and like I, I studied at a local college. And so I progressed really quickly. Um, And I played in orchestra. I played in college orchestras. My cousin, who was actually at the age of my mother, so he's like my second cousin, was a Dixieland clarinetist. And he actually, this is interesting, he had a whole basement full of records. And I know he had a a ton of Delmark records, although I never put it together. Right, wow. At the time, I put it together like much later. I was like, oh, wow, that's, you know, there's a connection here. Yeah. Um, and I would play with him in like circus bands 
Um, there are pictures of me being like 15 in a circus band with this guy oh. in this, in like a like a like a, a ring. Um, and so I had a very unusual musical upbringing, very specific musical upbringing, but but not because I don't know why. I mean, I don't think you can really say why. You know, it just was. I just always wanted to do it. So yeah, uh, incredible. No, it's. I mean, you're. Yeah, it's interesting just how. Um, I don't know if there are a ton of people that get to follow um, their their passion in that way, or their you know the, the what what's what's really calling them. You know, this sounds like a calling for you, and um, I feel sim- yeah. as a writer, I feel similarly um, you know blessed in some ways, privileged to be able to kind of follow my calling in that way. And it seems like you know this has been something that's been inside of you for a very long time. I mean, forever. Yeah, it really has, um, and. So to sort of step back, I don't think I really answered your question. You had how, how like, specifically about the blues. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I, honestly, until I did some improvising as um, in, in high school, like like simple improvising. Um, I came to Chicago to go to, to to classical guitar school, to a music school, and then I discovered blues clubs, and it, then. Um, and, and, and I just discovered them more socially. Um, and it kind of, it kind of grew when I started improvising more in my mid twenties. Um, and after graduate school, then I started doing blue jam sessions. I did some, um, I, my improvising went more towards experimental jazz or experimental improvising, but I did blues jazz sessions and I, and I, and I liked them. Um, and so I had, you know, definitely an experience. And also I met blues musicians um, at Rosa's years before I got involved with Rosa's in any kind of business way. Yeah. Um, who, so, who, who were some of the musicians that first kind of caught your attention? Like who were, yeah, some of the folks who stood out to you? Well, I, I did um, a blues jam session at Eddie Clearwater's club, Reservation Blues. Um, when that was in Wicker Park, yeah, um, and I did. Um, what are some of the other things? You know, I, I, later on, I played at Elastic. I played at. Oh, yeah. um, I worked a lot with the Experimental Sound Studio. Um, I remember seeing. I remember the, the jazz showcase at the Blackstone Theater. Yeah, and going as, as a, uh, I, and seeing. Um, I think I think I saw Cedar Walton at the, the jazz showcase. Nice. Um, yeah, and so it, it just it, there were many, many, many local Chicago musicians. Um, right. I mean, Chicago's just an incredible scene. I mean, kind of the scene in a lot of ways for I think jazz and blues and. Maybe yeah. the, the arts, really. I mean, I, I am a, I am a, you know, I, I wave the flag always, and I'm a Chicago centrist. But dang, like in in in, you know, blues, jazz, soul, you're hard pressed to find a, a, a better city. I think. Yeah, yeah, definitely, and especially even in undergrad at DePaul, you know, a great um, music Charles scene. Charles Singer was there. Was there? Um, I think Mark Colby was there at that time. Um, yeah, so. no, I, re- I, I, um, you know, I, I remember um, playing 
with a bunch of DePaul jazz musicians in lofts along Lincoln a long time ago. Um, and they had, you know, they had a, a lot of like, you know, jam sessions. And then they would invite other kinds of artists, rappers and poets to come in and get on the mic here and there. But they were just, they were students who just got together and improvised and made, you know, really, really great, great music. And I know that they, they have a, an incredible school. Yeah. And, and as we went, when we were improvising, we would improvise at Elastic. Um, people like Ernest Dawkins, um, yeah. you know, we played with, we, we still uh, play with Harrison Bankhead. Um, and um, Edward Wilkerson is a great, great friend. We played with um, Tatsuyoki recently um, with the Asian Improv Arts Festival. Nice. Um, so these are just just amazing creative musicians, and I I always I always wanted to do. I just had a vision of things that I wanted to do, and then I kind of went and did them. Um, and then afterwards, I thought, well, maybe I should um, I don't know have a be a little bit more have a little bit more circumspection or be a little bit more circumspect about it. But I. What can I say? I, I, there, I was very um, impulse and, and inspiration driven. Yeah. No. Of course. Yeah. I think you have to follow it in that in that way. <laughs> so so now, I mean, so you're you're running this label. How does that? Um, how do you balance your own work, your own composition, your own making of music, and then also the business of running a label? Well, it's really a challenge. It's really hard. I'm not gonna. I'm. I'm not gonna understate that. Um, and for sure, the responsibilities of the label have taken precedence over in the past couple in the past two years um, because it's just been nonstop, you know. And also because we've released so much, mm-hmm. we've had a lot of records come out, uh, which we're happy about. But also the thing about Dalmark is that it th- there's this balance of new releases and catalog releases and then all of this other um, archive and history and art. Uh, and so, you know, it really needs a, a team to, to manage it all. Um, but it's not um, the team is it's kind of just a couple of us. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. How many people, how many people are at it? Um, yeah. How many, how many employees do you guys have? Well, we have, um, a, we have a staff of about five, but then we have external accounting and we have external, we have partners that we work with. So we work, um, you know, we, we have business partners with sync placement. We have business partners with accounting. We have business partners with royalties so we don't keep all of that in house. If we had all that in house, we would need like between twenty and thirty employees. And the overhead for that is just not sustainable. Right. So we partner. That it's a little bit of a more modern business model. Right. Yeah. Of course. Of course. Yeah. Um, so, but to get, I don't. I, I have. Um, I haven't. I've done some some projects, especially in this year. I've done some projects. A little bit of work in the studio, and I've been gradually doing more. I've been doing some engineering, which is really good for my brain. It gets me out of the office space and the office head, um, and into the more, a more creative thing. And I, you know, I was faculty for seventeen years at the at the School of the Art Institute. Right. And I taught studio classes. I taught tape classes, 
And so that whole physicality of sound and, and tape loops and, and patch bays and, you know, analog mixing boards, I love that and I know it and I feel very comfortable. So getting into the studio and doing that is something that I really enjoy. Um, and it's, it's like a breath of fresh, fresh air. Um, and it gets me into other creative um, states as well. I've started writing again, too, um, composing again. Yeah. Um, I had promised myself that I was going to do, like, an Instagram Live um, guitar, you know, regular guitar broadcast, some kind of thing. And, you know, I haven't really managed to do that, and I think I still should. Yeah, um, like no, you improvise. There's a, just a, like even a free improv or like with guests or some kind of thing. I think that's a great idea. I think a, uh, IG fun, Live right? Julia Miller with guests would be would be terrific. <laughs> I think you should do that absolutely. Um, no, I think that's dope. So all right, so so um, what what should people listen to of yours, and what are you working on that maybe we'd be able to listen to soon? Um, well, we have you know the Volcano Radar Paquito Libre is released on. Um, on Delmark, it's our it's our CD, and we we have been talking about about putting that on vinyl, um, and and we may yet do that. Um, we also have um, Electro Parables, which is a, an electronic uh, digital release, which is going to come out in some kind of physical form. Um, and I'm working on string quartets, so that might happen, you know, in the coming year. Um, and, you know, of course, listen to Jeff Bradfield Trio, um, listen to Johnny Iguana, listen to Lindsay Alexander, which I produced. Yay, nice. Lindsay, wow. Chicago Blues Man. Congrats. Listen to Jimmy Johnson, who's going to be 92. He's streaming, uh, for his, we're streaming live from the studio for his 92nd birthday uh, after Thanksgiving. When is that? When will that be? That will be Saturday, the 28th of November. Great. Okay. Live from, and that's going to be. It's going to be streaming live, though. It's going to be picked up. We're co-producing it with Mojo Fest, which is a fest, blues fest in Italy. Um, and it's going to be all streamed everywhere. Um, so we have a lot of a lot of things going on. Yeah, on no kidding. All right. Oh, and oh, yes. also, also Women of the Blues is our gallery exhibit. Um, so we have, we have approximately 100 uh, uh, photos of female blues artists who are in the gallery right now, curated by um, Lynn Norman Weiss. Uh, there are 25 album covers that are Delmark album covers, all women of the blues. And and all of the rest are, are Chicago photographers, some international photographers and and, and women that, that Lynn has curated and brought together. And it's in the gallery now, but it's going to be a, a virtual gallery that you can see on the website as well. Great. And where where is the best place to stay in tune and to see the gallery, but also stay in tune with all of what you guys are up to? Bellmark.com. Cool. And what about socials? Any any socials? Yep. Um, Instagram at Delmark Records, Facebook. Those are our two main two main ones. I'm really on the Instagram, and Elvio is really on the the Facebook. Okay. Um, and we may branch out into into actually we're working on the YouTube as well, but we really focus on those two. We're growing them all the time. Nice. Now, before I let you go, I know you guys have a a thorough archive, but um, if you can tell me what are your top five out of the Delmark archive records that you would send people to 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 you know to to listen. Um, West Side Soul. 
I, West Side Soul is for blues. Um, you know, Cole Dan Hell, Otis Rush is the first Del Mar LP that I owned nice. back in back in the day. Um, for Alto, Anthony Braxton, um, Jimmy Forrest is a great. Um, it's it's great reel to reel as well. Um, so those are four. Let's see. Um, how can I only choose? How can I? How I know can I, you're not. Look, you're not beholden forever I, to this list. I, yeah, yeah. I could, I could, um, I, I could say like, um, you know, I, I, blues hit Big Town, Junior Wells. Uh, those. So those are all catalog, though. Okay. Of course, you know. Um, so if, I mean, I, I think that you were asking kind of. For yeah. That. Oh yeah, absolutely. Like, I, yeah. I, I mentioned some 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 new releases. Oh yeah. No no no. Roger Morganfield, our new digital single. Nice, good, nice, nice. That's a good sixth. Um, <laughs> Julia Miller, I look. I am grateful for your time and very grateful for your work. I, I'm I'm glad that Delmark lives and will live uh, into the forever, and uh, excited to see you guys push it uh, into the forever. Thank you for being in the corner store today. I appreciate you. Oh, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. it was such a pleasure, and re- thank you for inviting me. Yeah, of course. Shout out our super producer, DJ Cashera. Big up boss man, Todd Manley. Thank you to our official corner store photog, Mercedes Zapata. Salutes to the snack door, Max. Also, please, y'all, follow our Instagram. It's corner underscore pod on IG, on Twitter. Tell us who you want to see in the corner store. And also, please consider dropping a couple of dollars into our Patreon account. It's patreon.com corner store underscore pod. The corner store is brought to you by Stolen Spirits.